Thank you very much. What a tremendous uh, opportunity we have as a church to go and help um, Pastor Javier and the church realize their dream. I've, I've been there. I've been in the church. Um, it's, in a, it's in a neighborhood. It's a tremendous opportunity. So I hope you guys will consider being a part of that. It's going to be a good time, a good thing. Um, and uh, Costa Rica is definitely about more than just the coffee. <laughs> While they do grow coffee there, it's something I guess they're known for. But um, the ministry that is going on there is also incredible. And it's a beautiful country. Uh, somebody was talking to me about going in July. Uh, just so you know, July is considered their winter in, uh, in Costa Rica. So it's not hot at all. It's actually not cold either. It's going to be very mild, somewhere in the 70s. Um, it's really nice. Okay, uh, let me start off by asking you to uh, forgive me if I sound a little off today. I'm just getting over a cold, and uh, my, my voice is still a little nasally, I can see. And uh, I feel like sometimes, you know how whenever you've had a cold, you feel like you're looking through fog or something? Every once in a while, I have like this foggy brain uh, creep in. So if I start to say something and I can't think of the word... Just shout it out, whatever word you think that I should say. No, don't do that. Um, but I am, I've been, I've approached today with a, a little trepidation, if that's the right word. I think, I think that's the word I'm looking for. Something that I'm, I'm not really scared about, but I'm cautious of, um, because anytime we start to, to dig into sin, people get uncomfortable. So understand that today when we're talking about repentance, I've told you the last several weeks that this is what God has been working with me on. Um, this is what I think God, not, let me rephrase that, this is what I know God is asking of me right now. Several weeks ago, I had an overwhelming feeling. I was sitting right here in the front on a Sunday morning, and I remember getting up, and, and I told y'all in in that moment that God had, was really dealing with me on something for the church. And he shared two things with me that morning, two things that I believe he wanted for us as a church to, to look at. And the first thing he said to me was, he wants us to quit playing church. Now, that's something that probably every preacher has said since the beginning of time. We need to quit playing church, and it's time for us to move on, and it's time to... And maybe it's another call. To that for us. I, I'm not sure. I'm not trying to say something that has it in a new way. I'm not trying to bring up something that maybe God has already been talking with people about. I, I'm not sure. But here's what I know. The world is full of people who profess to be Christian who are not living that way. This is what I know. Um, a a uh, CRC, Christian um, resource, yeah, report came out the other day. Thank you. Shout those words out. And uh, not the other day. It came out in 21. So this is kind of a post-COVID study. They said that nearly 70% of Americans claim to be Christian. Sounds pretty good, right? Nearly 70%. That's, that's quite high. That was 21. If you go back to 2011, that number was almost 82%. So in 10 years, in one decade, it went from 82% to nearly 70%. 
The interesting thing is Pew Research shows that nearly 60% of people, when surveyed, said that they do not attend church in any form, in person, online, or on the TV. 60, it's crazy, right? We're looking at our country. 70% say that they are Christian, but 60% do not go to church or plan to go to church or watch church of any kind. 60%. That means that this morning or this weekend, let's not even go morning. Let's just say this weekend, Saturday through Sunday night, only 40% of people in the country will have partaken in some kind of church. So I think that when we look at these things, it's not a stretch to say people are professing one thing and living another. That was the first thing that God really, really pressed on me. Let's quit playing church. The second thing is this. God told me, repent. Now that's a little harder one for us to swallow. Why repent? What, what does that even mean? And we're going to dig into that word for the next several weeks. Um, just to give you a little background, the word repent comes from a Greek word, metanoia, if you wanted to look it up. And that means a change of mind or a change in the inner man, the inner person. To repent means to feel a sincere regret about or remorse about your sin or your wrongdoing. It means to change the direction of your life in response to that regret. That's repent. Repentance is not only feeling sorrow for your actions. Repentance involves making a conscious decision to change your behavior, to turn away from wrongdoing. I had a friend one time who was get. I remember he got irritated because somebody was talking about how they were being a Christian. He said, well, you either need to change your name or change what you do <laughs> because you're not acting like a Christian. Change your name or change what you do. Here's what I know about repentance. Repentance is tied to revival. Revival is something that we as a church are always looking for, right? We, we love that, that feeling of closeness and connection with the Holy Spirit. So repentance is tied to revival, but revival is only going to happen when we realize that we are dead in our sins and there is no way out by living the way we used to live. God is not going to revive people who harbor sin, in other words. Today, as we get into the scripture, by the way, or into the message, the, in the notes, the message notes are in the church app. You can also scan this QR code if you'd like to find your way to those message notes. But we know that God's not going to revive those who harbor sin in their lives. So today, the, this message is based out of 2 Chronicles 7.14, which you guys, I'm sure, all know well or have heard it before. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin 
and will heal their land. There was a cartoon several years ago in the, uh, it was called the Saturday Review of Literature and had George Washington. You guys know the story, George Washington, he chopped down the cherry tree and he said, I cannot tell a lie, that whole thing. <laughs> there was a cartoon that somebody made about that and um, he's already made the admission that he did it. After all, he cannot tell a lie, this cartoon says, but the father is standing exasperated by him saying, all right, you admit it, but the question is, when are you going to stop doing it? Chopping down the tree. Maybe he chopped down more than one tree, I don't know. But I feel like for us, that's what God is looking at us sometimes saying, okay, okay, you admit it. Over and over again, you said it, you're doing it. You're, you've, you're admitting that you've done wrong and you want to change, but when will you stop sinning and allow my spirit to renew and restore you? As badly as we may want to be revived, I would dare say that God desperately wants us to be revived even more so. He wants to work in our lives in a powerful way, but that's only going to happen when we hear those of us who, who are called by his name will, will hear him when we will throw ourselves at his feet in complete surrender, when we will desperately seek his face and pray. God's asking us to turn from our wicked ways, but you know, I'm, I'm wondering, as I'm, as, as I'm here talking, most of us don't like to think of ourselves as traversing a wicked path. And probably most of us aren't because what we do is we, we have a, a relative morality in the United States. You guys doing okay, by the way? I mean, everybody's very quiet today. <laughs> what I mean by relative morality is as long as we're living a better life than the person next to us. Well, I, I didn't do that. I didn't react the way that they did. At least I didn't kill somebody. It's relative morals. As long as I'm better than that person, I feel pretty good about myself. Relative moralism. And, and so we don't think of anything and we don't want to. And, and probably most of us would say that we're not living in this life of extreme sin. That we're not wicked. And I don't guess that's what I'm here to say. I, I, don't, I don't want us to compare ourselves to other people to, to begin to say, at least I'm better than that person. Because what God's calling us to do is to turn from our wicked ways and, and my goodness, even John the Baptist and Matthew records him as saying, to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember, we just talked about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and what that looks like. To repent is to change a former thought. We've talked about this before. A former thought, you're going one way, you're thinking one, but to, to change a former thought, a sinful thought, for a new thought. To change directions, to go in a 
different way. Today in our text, in the second Chronicles, there's two terms that we need to come to a perfect understanding of. To drop our sinful habits and, and walk away, to abandon them and never return, to replace a former thought with a new thought, to go in a new direction. And so that you understand that I'm not trying to pick on anybody and I'm not saying, I'm not calling everybody in here wicked. <laughs> My brain goes, you know, like wicked smart or something. No, man, you guys, help me out today. Wicked. We're not, we don't like to think of ourselves as wicked people, but what, what does that mean? What, where, where are we going with that? What does it mean to change, to repent, to turn from those wicked ways, to, to give up on a sinful thing? The first thing is we need to turn back towards God, okay? In Malachi 3.7, it records God saying this, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Return to me and I will return to you. So the, here's the question. How is it that we turn away from God? Where does that wickedness come from? How, how do we get involved in, in this sin? What, what does that even mean? In Deuteronomy 30, chapter, seven, or chapter 30, verse 17, it says, but if, you, if your heart turns away and you are not obedient... And if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them. So this explains how we may fall away. And it all starts with the heart. Okay, so we don't think of ourselves as wicked people. And, and I don't want you to get into this depressed state thinking that. But what I want you to understand is that when there's a shift in our heart... When that fire that burns for God begins to wane, when the embers start to cool, our hearts begin to drift. We find that we're, we're willing to tolerate disobedience in certain areas of our lives, things that used to disgust us and we would turn away from. Now we, we tolerate just a little. What used to be something we wouldn't even consider or we wouldn't watch on TV. Now it's, it, it's okay. It's, it doesn't bother us so much. But it, it all starts because our hearts begin to wane. That fire for God begins to subside. Something, this is why we're admonished all the time in the scripture to maintain our spiritual fervor, to pursue God with all we have. Don't let the embers die. And what happens is a substitute for God begins to trickle into our lives. And maybe it's not a golden calf like it would have been for the Israelites, but maybe it's a job. Or maybe it's money. Or maybe it's our family. Anything that we place before God becomes an idol. Reminds me of a story I heard about a little boy who went fishing. It's a sad story, really. One day he woke up early, he was gonna go fishing at the creek, and on his way fishing, he had to stop and dig up some worms. He stopped underneath an old tree, dug some worms up, put them in his bucket, and went fishing. 
got to the, the creek and reached into the bucket, got a worm, and um, baited the hook, and he thought he must have cut himself on the can or something as he came out, sucked it because it hurt a little bit, threw the worm into the water and caught a catfish, big old catfish. He got so excited about it. So then again, he stuck his hand in the, in the uh, can, baited the hook, pricked himself on that. You're going to have to ch check that piece of metal in there, sucked it, threw it, got another catfish. Did this for about an hour. And that boy, he was so excited, a stringer full of catfish, got his catfish and started to walk down the road, headed home. About that time, Sheriff pulled up, says, hey, Johnny, what are you doing? Well, I went fishing, got all these catfish, look at these fish. Man, what'd you, where, how did you get those? Well, I've got this special bait. And he showed the sheriff the special bait. And the sheriff saw what it was and immediately threw Johnny into the sheriff's car and took off and took him to the hospital where Johnny died that day. Because what happened was every time he was sticking his hand and getting the special bait, it was actually a baby rattlesnake. And he didn't know. It was just a tiny little bite. But after doing that for an hour, his arm got all swollen up and, and red. And just one hurt just a little bit. Two hurt just a little bit. And I feel like sometimes that's how we do with sin. We just, just a little bit, just a little, mm, man, that hurt, but I'm having so much fun, I don't pay attention to what's going on. And we do this over and over, and that's how sin can cause us to turn away. It's just, it's just one small bite. It's just one small thing. We don't even realize what's happening until we're miles away from God. And it all starts because our hearts begin to get cooled down, the embers that were on fire for God begin to go away. So how is it that we turn back to God? What is it that we need to do? I think that first we need to identify the things in our lives that are keeping us from him and, and tear them down. Remember Psalm 130, 139 David wrote, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to identify in our lives the things that might be in the way. Another thing we can do is identify in our lives these things we might be tolerating, things that God hates. Move away from those things. Another thing we can do is give up religion. If you look at Hebrews chapter 6, it says this, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. I'm going to tell you Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. Someday, go in and read that and digest that. Because what he's saying is, getting back to the basics of Christianity, how do we grow as a Christian? The first thing this writer mentions is repenting from acts that lead to death, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hand. In other words, 
It's not about the works that we do that draws us closer to God. It's what's going on in our heart. It's not these dead works. Literally in the Greek, if you go to the Greek in that Hebrews, it says repent from dead works. We have to learn to repent from dead works. It doesn't matter how often you go to church or how many home groups or Sunday school classes you're a part of. It doesn't matter how many Bible lessons you've studied. None of that matters. What matters is more than going through the motions. It's about a heart connected to God. And then rebellion. Sin is rebellion. Just straight up, sin is rebellion. And, and we do sin because we're proud people. Repentance only comes about in our brokenness. It's here that we're able to admit and eradicate rebellion. One of the ways we tolerate sins in our lives is because we're able to reclassify sin. We make excuses for it. We'll say, I'm only human. It's not my fault. I can't help it. I was born this way. You know, I want you to know God sees sin also. God sees sin also. He doesn't see sin as a disease. He doesn't see sin as humanness. It's not inability. It's rebellion. In Isaiah 53, he says, uh, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned away, turned to our own way. And that's sin. When we turn to our own way. When we turn to a way that we prefer more than the way that God prefers. It's rebellion. So, that's really only part of the story. I want you to know that God didn't, God doesn't want to leave us in this degraded state of sin. He doesn't want to leave us there. The good news for us today is that we can be set free from that sin, um, from that sin. That repentance leads to holiness. Repentance leads to freedom. The king of Nineveh said in uh, 2 Chronicles, I mean, in, excuse me, in uh, Jonah, I want you to put on sackcloth. I want you to pray urgently to God, and I want you to give up your evil ways. If you will humble yourselves and pray and seek my face, if you will turn from your wicked ways. In Isaiah, he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him for he will freely pardon. The chief thing that won't let revival come to America is that the church will not, we won't confess our sins and get holy. Because we're in rebellion. We don't want to think of ourselves that way. Because more moral relativism, I'm better than the guy next to me. God is not going to respond to the prayers of people who hold sin in their hearts. We ask for forgiveness of our sins, then we hold on to them. You know, it's crazy. It's like 
We come to this place where we realize that we need that forgiveness, and so we ask God to forgive us, and we recognize that we've done something wrong, and we recognize that rebellion in our lives, and, and we try to repent. We walk up to the sin, and, we, and we're looking at our, our former thought that we want to turn our back on, and we're looking at it, and we say, God, forgive me. And he does, but then we don't turn back from it. We keep looking at it, and we keep holding on to it, and we just won't let it go. That's one of the things I love about what our church teaches. It's this thing called sanctification. So what does it mean to be sanctified? And we've talked about this before. It's a, it's a second work. I'm going to, just some brief theological points. So when we're saved, we come to what they call a crisis point. It's a crisis point in our lives. Like, we realize that something is not right. And it's a point of crisis. It's a good crisis. We realize there's something going on. That that sin is separating us from God, and it will separate us now and after we die. And we recognize that Jesus is the Son of God, and we ask him to forgive us for our sins. You've done that. It's called a crisis point. We are saved. It's that word. That's where we get it from. We're saved. Life is good. We're trying to live like a Christian should, but we keep messing up. And, and we keep saying things like, I'm only human. Oh, I messed up, but I'm only human. You know, the word sanctify means to be set apart. There are several places in Scripture where we're told to, to be set apart for God, to that is to pursue holiness, to pursue purity. In 1 Thessalonians, this is one of my favorites, chapter 4, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So basically, here it is. We all have the desire to sin. It's just built into us. When Adam and Eve sinned, we're born with that desire to sin. It's just, it is what it is. And we struggle with that desire. And it wages a war within us and with Jesus, who we've asked to live in our hearts, to forgive us for our sins. And we get to the point that we're tired of fighting. We just don't want to fight anymore. We're just, we're just tired of it. And we say, God, I just, I just want what you want. This is a second point of crisis. It's a point of surrender completely to him. We, we say, God, sanctify me. God, purify me. God, take away my desire to sin because I don't want that anymore. I only want what you want. I only want what you want. Now I'm truly going to repent. I'm, I'm exchanging a former thought for a new thought. I, I want to get rid of these, these things in my life, that, these thoughts that just won't let me go. I want to give them away. I, don't, I want you to take them from me. When we do that, when we ask God to sanctify us, when we ask him to purify us, that doesn't mean that we're now perfect it doesn't mean that we won't sin anymore. What it means is we're giving the desire to sin up. We're, we're changing 
so that that desire is gone. And my only desire is for God. Now, I'm, I'm going to mess up. But how we handle it now is different. We don't want to go against God anymore. We'll continue to grow as he shows us things in our life. And the cool thing about this is it, it happens all at once and over a lifetime, both. It happens now because I say, oh, I just can't do it anymore. I can't. I want to turn away from it. And then as I'm walking, he'll say, all right, well, this was the one crisis, but now the, the one thing, now you remember this thing? I need you. Oh, yeah, God, I'm sorry. Yeah, we're walking. Because now I'm walking with God hand in hand, and he daily reminds me about this thing and that thing. And as I go, I get closer and closer and closer and closer to him. I become more and more and more like him. This is what it means to be restored into the image of Christ. That is the work of sanctification in our lives so that that image can be restored. We were created that way. It is who he made us to be. And that's who he wants us to be. But the only way we can get there is if we surrender everything. You know, this is, this is the end. I'm going to pray in just a moment. I ask you to pray with me, but you know, when we get there, when we get to that broken place, that place where we're humbled, where we're forgiven, and then when we're sanctified, it's, it's then that God will hear our prayer and heal our land. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. If my people, my church in Lantana, the ones who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and I will bring revival to their land. When we give all to God, it requires an amount of humbleness, humility, recognizing, acknowledging to him that it's not anything that I can do. It's his work in me. It's a crazy thing because as people, we want to do everything. We want to be in charge. We want to be in control. We, and God's saying, would you just let me I'll do it in you. This morning, we're going to spend a time in communion. I'm going to ask those that are helping to go ahead and begin to prepare. I can't think of a better time than celebrating this time of communion with each other as the body of Christ. If somebody here this morning needs to humbly walk to the altar and say, God, I don't want what I want. I only want what you want. I want you to sanctify me. It takes humility. We remember when
When Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, which was his body, and he broke it. And he told those with him, this is my body, which will be broken for you. Take and eat. And then when the meal was over, he took the cup, the cup of blessing, and he said, this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, which will be shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. So here in a few moments when you go, we'll, we're going to have a place where you can break the bread and dip it into the cup if you'd like. We also have prepackaged. And here in the back, we have uh, gluten-free. But this morning, if you are thinking, you know, there's some things in my life I want to repent of. There's some work the Holy Spirit needs to do in me. Then I want to invite you, come and kneel at the altar. Spend just a few moments before you go to one of these places. And we share in this Lord's Supper together. God, this morning, this morning as we are sharing this meal together, I pray, God, that you would, Holy Spirit, that you would do a work in us. We know that you want to sanctify us. We know that you want to eradicate the desire for sin from us. Help us, God, to align our will with your will. Fill us completely, we pray, so that we might be a sanctified people. Teach us to repent. As we share this meal together, this Lord's Supper, we're grateful, Jesus, for your body that was broken for us and your blood, which is the blood of a new covenant, was shed for us. Holy Spirit, move in our midst, I pray, right now, in Jesus' name. Amen.